The Bizarre Cast contains adult themes and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a long-awaited episode of The Bizarre Cast. It has not been cancelled. It has been resurrected. And I bring you today a lovely, I'm sure it will be, a lovely interview with a fine artist and painter based in Ireland who goes by the name Billy Dante. Billy, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me, Richard. Delighted to be here to chat with you. (laughs) Very good. Superb. Billy, uh, full disclosure to the audience here. Uh, We do know each other a long time. I think it's uh, over 25 years and it's a long-awaited chat, not for the audience because they've been without an episode for nearly six months um but also i got in contact with you quite some time ago and we've only now made the time so very glad to have you on today and i appreciate you taking time out of your busy day yeah i think we had a small bit of a pandemic that interrupted things (laughs) for sure i think it was nearly possibly going to be an in-person interview at some stage but Mm -hmm. it just didn't pan out uh, but for those uh, listening now, they're wondering, who's this guy, Billy Dante? Would you like to give a little bit of background and flavor about uh, what you're all about? For sure. So I am, as Richard mentioned, a fine artist, a painter uh, from Cork in Ireland. I'm now based in Dublin, working out of Mart Studios, um, and I've been developing my practice for the last five years uh, since graduating from the Crawford College of Art and Design in Cork, um, graduating in in fine art and predominantly kind of painting is is my first medium, but I guess through painting, uh, the kind of the output has not always been your traditional oil on canvas. I have let it flow into other works that have been more live action performative pieces um abstract sound poems i'm sure we'll get into all the detail uh here today and i'd I'd love to um to show some work for anyone who's interested you can kind of find my work on instagram and through my website billydante.com super usually we leave the plugs till the end but uh, (laughs) we let them slide (laughs) at the start yeah um so billy it's far from fine art that you were reared uh you're always one for the doodles i'll be them the best of the whole uh, class we used to go to school together audience you always had a flair for the artistic side but when did things start to cement themselves that you wanted to maybe throw yourself a bit more seriously behind the art yeah it's a really good question and it doesn't have a straightforward answer as far as i've delved into it there isn't an artistic bone in my parents' body, and they would happily agree with that themselves. They don't have any interest in art, certainly didn't have an interest in in art before I arrived. And it's always been there for me. I, I don't really know where it came from. Certainly once the spark was identified, my parents encouraged it and uh, I guess it was always a, an easy way to keep me quiet with the pen and paper and they always have supported my artwork but where it began I don't really know 
there definitely was that seed from day one. I can just always remember being fascinated with the visual, with with the world and, and observing the world and trying to capture that through drawing or through painting, not for uh, to get plaudits at how well I can do that. It was, it was just like muscle memory. It, it just helped me to understand things, um, whatever you were into as a child, uh, I tended to want to draw that. So be it watching a football game, I'd want to draw the footballers, or be it um, the most popular song at the time, the video that's released for that, why not draw and try and capture that or try and understand it um, in this visual sense. I was kind of thinking about this last night in, in preparation for the talk, for our, our talk here. And I was trying to think about the earliest works that I can remember doing and it goes back to was it 1998 I can remember when Titanic was released and that was you know a big moment uh in cinematic history and I was too young to even go and watch Titanic but suddenly all the talk was about this three-hour-long film that you had an interval in the middle of and I can remember making a, a picture book of the Titanic, the quite quite morbid as a very young child. I guess it was probably maybe six or seven. A picture book of, of the sinking of the Titanic. And maybe it was true actually not being able to go and see the film yet. And this was me in my own mind imagining what the big iconic scenes are in in the the movie. But kind of putting that down in paper for some reason, it just I had to do it. And when we think back to yeah knowing each other for 25 years I guess the first time it was it was identified in in school again was very very early maybe um the second class that we were in uh, I can remember the teacher Miss Tyrrell who was quite into drawing kind of encouraging me obviously saw that I would copy the illustrations that we'd have in in our textbooks so we're talking now about being the age of six or seven so maybe copying the illustrations have been able to kind of accurately copy what I'm seeing on the on the in the book on my own kind of little sketchbooks yeah no tracing involved no tracing involved no I always had quite a good eye for just being able to to reproduce without the tracing and I don't remember there being a huge encouragement but that does just stand out as somebody who kind of identified okay there's there's a natural flair here for drawing um i think i'm not sure if you can remember but she was quite good at drawing little caricatures and stuff on on the on the board yeah no i I remember actually i think my mom had recently like unearthed god they must be like 25 year old copy books where (laughs) i had actually tried to do the drawings and they were just rubbish like compared to because my earliest uh Billy Dante artistic flair was um, when we were, yeah, it must have been six or seven. The Red Bull ads that were illustrated had mm. just started coming out. And you were basically between yourself and Brian were doing alternating like comic strips of potential Red Bull ads. And I remember because I was trying them as well, but they were rubbish uh, that we'd be like submitting them to Red Bull <laughs> for the next ad <laughs> um, that they do. Uh, yeah. I, I love you remember one about Christmas. 
yeah, I love that they haven't changed the the style of the Red Bull ads. They really, you know, they stick out now more than they maybe even did at, at the time then. Um, you know, they're keeping that real kind of tactile feel that it still looks like it's almost hand drawn watercolor and paper. Bit, yeah. Yeah. It's funny you, you mentioned the Red Bull ads because I was thinking about I think we had uh, an Irish textbook that had very similar illustrations to the Red Bull ads, you know, kind of They did with the big nose on the front, yeah. With the big nose. And I remember like one particular drawing where I think there was one of the, the characters, one of the figures was swinging, maybe kind of jolting their head uh, right to left. So there was almost, there was a motion in the drawing and, and that is just, is the only one that really sticks out in my head. I can remember doing that and being able to do it and it had that same motion. And it was purely just for my own kind of kicks. I've always just loved drawing and what what I could bring in terms of my own kind of trying to understand the world and and connecting with people too, like that, making comic strips and seeing people get a bit of entertainment from it. That's always been a nice bonus. So that's kind of where it started. And, and from there, it's just, it's kept trundling forward and, and, and completely bamboozles my parents that they are both from, you know, finance backgrounds not at all into art as i said same with my my siblings but it, it's been there and it, it, it's undeniably been there from the start uh so, so through that i guess to your question of like when did i start to think about taking it more seriously would have been when, when we were getting to the, the latter stages of school thinking about what courses we were going to try and go for in college my immediate thoughts were let's go to art college that seems like the best four years I could have um just creating art being in a space with other artists like growing up I didn't really meet too many others who had such an interest in in fine art and painting studying art as a subject in school there was others who were very interested but possibly not you know not that I saw to the same extent um, so I really wanted to get into a college where I was surrounded by others who were, you know, completely dedicated to art. So at that stage, then, like you obviously enjoyed it for just the art itself. But mm-hmm. was there a sort of a parallel interest in the history of art at that stage? Or was that more like you were looking to do that in college more so to learn? No, for me, there was a, there was a parallel interest in art history. An artist and I guess like that is a really good point there was a lot of people who were into drawing and were into making work but weren't so interested in the art history side and as much as I got a kick off making work I got a huge kick off going to galleries going to museums and seeing work and um, so a lot of people like at that time, us all being kids creating work, the excitement was in the making and making something that looked really cool. And often for our age group, cool wasn't seen by others in museums and galleries going down to the Crawford Art Gallery. But for me, I I absolutely loved it. I loved seeing paintings in the flesh. I guess at that time in like 
street street art and, and graffiti was just as it is today like it was the most probably the most popular uh, kind of form of art that just grabs the masses I wasn't so interested in that I was actually interested in the whole thread of like art history that that's why you know it's, it's more in the realm of fine art I I was just as interested in learning about the artists of the past as I was about developing my own work or anything that was happening outside in the streets and do you think there was a certainly maybe at the back of your mind that you one day wanted to be looked back as one of those greats or is it ever just about the creative process like or is there a bit of both I would say a bit of both yeah definitely I think as someone wanting to be an artist that's where you want to measure yourself up against everything that's gone before and I, I like to think that there's not it's never just one artist that's kind of carries the torch on from um the past but as an artist you do need to I think feel the weight of art history behind you and feel that you are part of the next step forward and in order to take that step forward as much as you can you need to be looking back and kind of go through the the different art movements different artists that have, have grabbed your attention and have interested you you need to find out kind of why um, and I don't think you ever maybe come to a, a definitive answer it can just be something that's that's a feeling but I think it's very very important and even when we got to art college I think it was I still didn't see it there for a lot of, of the students that that it actually just ability to to want to look back and study art I think it's the only way you can really make as artists going forward you want to create something and not in in any way a gimmicky sense you want to create something that hasn't been created before because you you want to evolve or, or be part of the evolution of art and and so much today is gimmick and trying to um shock and that's that's been happening for decades now but i do believe you want to try like i I go into the studio and I want to try and make a painting that I haven't seen before. That's still, you can look back and, and, and see references to different, not particular works, but maybe movements and, and, and um, styles of applying paint or styles of drawing and crafting an image. But you, you want there to be an element of something new and that can only happen through understanding to the best of your ability everything that's gone before yeah 100 percent. because for those who are wondering because this is obviously an audio medium so they can't see the art in front of them so i would encourage you to maybe get up at billy dante on instagram while you're listening just get a, a sense and flavor and as i am also doing that yeah my interpretation of maybe your style and correct me if i'm wrong because mm -hmm. you might have your own opinions but all art is a uh, subjective you kind of find beauty almost in 
the unkept and the mundane like you just take a scene it could just be side of a road an ashtray beer can you know anything like that and you paint it but it actually comes across as very melancholic but also humorous um is that sort of the intention or do you have a a different way you would say that you express your art i'm absolutely delighted with that analysis richard richard uh I'm, I'm, i'm loving that you touched on the mundane i do gravitate towards the mundane in in the work because i think through painting art you can take the mundane and i I guess the works that you're referencing there would be the most recent series that i'm working on which is called butts and cracks and so there there's a humor there even in the title as well of Uh, course yes and, (laughs) and it's looking at the butts and cracks in our pavements so I like to see it as, as the kind of landscape that we're always gazing upon but never actually looking at. Yep. And mundane, yes, because when, when you see them, you recognize those spaces, you, you know, you're... You've forever. seen it a thousand times kind of thing. You've seen it a thousand times, but actually stopping and true observation of the mundane, which I think is what I do, and then putting that back on the viewer, that observation is kind of passed off to the viewer i think it maybe sheds a a new light hopefully on on the world or gives a new kind of perspective bringing that that space that we're always looking straight down upon but never focused on suddenly bringing it upright kind of confronting a viewer on a wall i think makes you hopefully makes one kind of think about taking those moments and, and maybe stopping and observing the, the world around them and even in bottle caps smashed into the ground, there can be beautiful colours, there can be incredible texture, there can be humour. It can kind of be everything and it's nothing all at the same time. And for me, they're the spaces that I walk around. So I'd often take a walk on my lunchtime or in the evening and I would take photos as, as I'm walking around. And again, they're, yep. I'm not carefully composing the photos in any way. I can just be snapping. And when I get back to the studio, then these are the kind of reference images to create the work and the work becomes something different then. But so they have a, a personal connection to me, but I think there's also, also like a universal quality to the mundane. Um, I think anyone could look at them and, and kind of appreciate as you said, that these are the kind of space we all recognize. But they show up kind of beautiful colors, even in, I think I've got some paintings there of like, you know, it's challenging maybe what is traditionally thought of as ugly, you know, tarmac, roads, concrete, pavements. But if you stop and really start to observe a tarmac road, you start to see maybe the delicate lines that carved between the little pebbles and you know yeah, in some ways yeah. you could see them as, as kind of delicate abstract drawings mark making or even you know you think of that as like a flat black surface but there's often a shine to it and it's reflecting the sun that's shining down on it and maybe gives off a beautiful kind of purpley 
blue or you can actually kind of see any color in it it's like a black mirror almost um so yeah i guess it's, it's trying to look at the really boring and through painting then maybe show it back on the viewer that this is a little bit more interesting yeah because just to bring it back a little bit like my first introduction to billy dante as the core concept and as an out and out artist the work was a little bit more uh, sexual orientated yeah and i think for maybe just even the age that we would have been at because we're similar Mm -hmm. ages i think me as the viewer and the observer maybe wasn't ready to appreciate it at the time but just to touch back on you were saying you know some people might do it for the shock or whatever Mm-hmm. At the time, was that more for just the type of expression you're going for at the time, or was there an element of shock to it too? Yeah, I'd like to think it was less about the element of shock, but looking back now, I can probably see that that was there unconsciously. It was a lot of the work that I was doing towards the end of my fine art degree. And the work was very big, very bold in color, and very explicit in the the content. And I guess a lot of that was influenced by the art I was looking at of that time. I was looking at a lot of artists that were dealing with kind of mythical tales. Um, I guess that's actually how I started to be uh, nicknamed Dante. I, I was creating work that wasn't directly derived but certainly was influenced by reading Dante's um, The Divine Comedy and focusing particularly on the Inferno. So I guess that's where a lot of the content and the kind of no rules to content came from. Um, Sure. And that's how it formed into uh, Billy Dante. So my legal name and the name on my birth cert being Kevin O'Sullivan around the time that I was graduating, I was creating this work from having read Dante's Inferno and the, I mean, the, the darkness of that work. Um, so a nickname was going around at the time, Dante, and then my middle name is William Billy. So I put them two together and maybe that was partly because of, of the, the type of work it was. I wanted to take kind of full responsibility for that myself um, because if you can imagine, my parents were pretty shocked by that work too. And I really didn't want it to be shocking, but you do want the work to be challenging. Sure. Yeah, no, that's good. Art should sort of challenge you to see things a bit differently. But I, I think actually thinking back on the work, I have this idea of like realness. And when I look, back on that work even though I still enjoy it there's there's a realness that is lacking in it and that's and I don't mean realness as in like photorealism because there's certainly not that it's more and and all my painting is more expressive paintings it's never realism but a realness in terms of like an authenticity more so yeah 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 exactly and now I actually think the work I'm doing it's taken me a long time to get to to the kind of bots and cracks series now and in some ways that can be more impactful 
it's more true to myself i think when i'm making it and that definitely translates when someone's viewing it um, well they come across a lot more rich we'll say like a lot more care was put into it more so mm-hmm. would be the way i would pick that up like it there's a lot yeah. more detail even though yeah. it's actually something that's you know for example yeah butts and cracks beauty in the banal curb your enthusiasm where it's just a great and from far away like at arm's length it looks like a picture mm-hmm. but when you zoom in it's like oh yeah it's actually just blotches of paint so that sort of aspect compared to the earlier stuff which i would have seen years and years ago that was a lot more like it kind of felt like rushed and raw but yeah. you're saying maybe not real would that be fair yeah, I think I was. I think I was asking big questions at a very early stage, and so my lack of experiences would have prevented that work. I think from being as real as, as I would have liked it to be. You know, I was dealing with the you know trying to work through the big questions of life, death, and the sex in between. And I think the work now still in a in a far subtler way can touch on, you know, the basics of our existence. Whereas in those early works and it's funny talking about the style of them, a lot of that as well is is shaped by what I was reading, what I was trying to achieve, but it's also just shaped by the the technical side of they were very big pieces of work now i'm working on that sure. you know, sort of style yeah. the, the the scale impacts what you're doing so there was a lot of energy in them still uh which like yeah, elements of those paintings that i'm it. very yeah. proud of like the energy because it was just a physical undertaking to actually cover the i think some of them were maybe six foot tall and four foot wide so it was really like a vigorous sex session in and of itself <laughs> trying to get a spread all over yeah i mean there's a realness there in in trying to grapple with those things as a as a young man as well but i uh, the subtler now that i see in the work is you calm down you have a long-term partner things are a <laughs> bit more regular you don't Could you don't be, yeah. need to be uh putting it on the canvas yeah there was the madness of of art college in in those paintings but um yeah i look back on them with fond memories now it's funny to look back on them that's good no it's great and we didn't really touch on in terms of your initial style and even just using the brush what were your biggest artistic inspirations because i know you're mentioning your reading dante but what were some of the wider inspirations that you had well in terms of like art movements i kind of go through there's, there's some artists that i'm always returning to but I do go through different phases of loving different art movements. Like at the moment, I'm very interested in the London painters around the time of, let's say, the London school around like the 1950s. David Hockney, Francis Bacon, Lucien Freud. At the time when I was creating the works towards the end of college, you know, you can see references there to the big new figure of painting from like the 1980s in 
in New York. So coming out of the the Warhol era and him passing off to Jean-Michel Basquiat and France, Francisco Clemente um, and in particular, yeah, Francisco Clemente and Julian Schnabel, who's now making a lot of good films um, along with his painting. But I guess that, that was kind of influencing my scale, was influenced by Schnabel and then some of the the imagery and, and the way it was tackling the figure was probably at that stage being influenced by Clemente. Now you can see references to more what would be thought of as kind of traditional figurative painters like Freud, Bacon, um like this I don't think any work uh can be directly brought back to one painter but there's like when we think of the different elements that make up painting so the drawing style could be taken from somebody who is a very um, traditional craftsman like Lucien Freud in terms of the underlying drawing in terms of like paint application then you could be referencing another artist I love the, the, the thickness and the texture of the paint that somebody like Frank Auerbach, um, and that just is achieved through building up layer upon layer upon layer to get, you know, this this surface that isn't your flat. Yeah. Like like a a two D, it, it it makes the kind of painting. I like the idea of painting as objects. Do you, yeah. Do you have a certain type of uh, like paint that you use? Is it like oil on a, like acrylics or? So it'd be all uh, oil paint is primarily kind of what I use um under paintings I would often just to get something quickly down on the canvas and have it dry quickly I might do an initial layer of of acrylic so when I stretch up the canvas the priming process takes quite a while and so you get to a stage then when you invested quite a bit of time into the canvas and suddenly the white is staring back at you um, and you're looking at the blank canvas hesitant so I try and drive like drive on and dive in as quickly as possible with big thick sticks of charcoal to do an under drawing and if I still feel that the white blank canvas is staring back at me too much I will get going with it with a layer of acrylic um, and let that dry and just I try never to feel kind of intimidated by the canvas. I'm quite confident that there's no layer that, that can't be painted over, that can't be redone when you're dealing with acrylic and oil. For quick sketches, I will do watercolor on paper, let's say if I'm just working out a composition. Yeah. And I found, you know, for anyone who's used watercolor, it's very unforgiving. The great thing about acrylic and oil is you just play the patient game, wait for it to dry, and you can always layer on top. And I, I kind of like that actually, like having layers underneath that are paintings that have been thrown away because, as I've seen, you know, it kind of builds up a, a skin like, and almost a texture. The, the hidden history of the painting is actually in the painting. Yeah, I don't think that there's, there's no energy lost in a painting for me. I don't believe in this idea that 
oh, I had it, you know, two hours ago and I've just gone too far. Well, just keep going further and you'll get it back. But with watercolour, you can go to that point where I've gone too far and, and I actually do need to scrap it because with watercolour, you're working from lights to dark. So if you go if you go too early with the darks, there's no light colour that can go on top of a dark watercolour. Yeah, I've recently used watercolours and uh, they are quite unforgiving. We did a little... Uh, <laughs> Van Gogh sunflower at a, a sort of a, you know, it's one of these like wine and wine and oh, paint yes, or something. Yeah. And uh, we did some koalas as well. And since it, it all has to be dry within the hour, it's like boom, boom, boom. It's very tough. <laughs> yeah, I do have a, an appreciation for those that have mastered watercolor. Like they have um, Turner watercolors in in Dublin and I think it was specified when the works were being donated to the National Gallery of Ireland that they could only be shown in springtime and I'm not sure if that's partly to do with uh, the delicacy of the work and so I also think it's maybe to do with the the work and showing them in the certain light and stuff exactly the, the particular light my God, you see his kind of mastery of watercolor. It's uh, like, like his his oil paintings are incredible, but his studies in preparation for those oil paintings in watercolor are just phenomenal. And then I suppose in terms of your own output, because uh, mm-hmm. looking at some of the photos of you in studio, there seems to be a large body of works all the time. Mm-hmm. What sort of would be the output for yourself? Yeah. I probably think of myself as, as quite prolific in terms of output. Uh, there's a lot of paintings that are made, not a lot that have been shown recently, and that kind of irks me a little bit. Um, I want to want to start getting a little bit braver in terms of taking them outside the studio and, and showing them. I work quite quite quickly, and and that's something that I try to get across in in even like the paint handling that there's a kind of an energy to it I don't want the works to kind of feel um in in any way stagnant uh so I do work quite quickly and I'll often let works dry and move on to another painting and then six months down the road I could come back to to one that you know was thought of as finished so while they're in the studio and they can be, for all intents and purposes, in my head, thought of as finished. But while they're in that studio, there's, there's always a potential for them to, to be looked at differently someday, and I'll have to get up and, and, and kind of reactivate them through kind of getting started on maybe another layer. But um, I do I do churn out quite a lot of paintings um, every year. I would say I'm, I'm making a painting a week on average um okay and yeah that would be like my next question because you were saying just to be a little bit more brave of showing them off uh is it a case that you're hoarding all your works or are you looking to sell any or what is the ultimate fate of the works of billy dante right now for me the the goal would be to have a solo exhibition i'm, I'm 
very often working in series. I think of them as works that should be shown together and experienced as a whole. Um, of course, in showing them, the works would then be up for sale. But I guess through, through Instagram, it's a funny thing that before, sometimes before any of the works have even gone on show in a gallery, somebody can be reaching out and, and wanting to, to purchase, which is fantastic. Um, but for me, there's always a part where I've had a show in mind. I can go back to the person and say, look, I can happily um, tell you that, that this work will, will be yours, but I want to, I want to show it first. Um, and I think there is something about completing the work through showing it and, and having that experience of a series all together. Um, so that's what I, my ultimate fate would be for them to, to live in, in galleries and then beyond that, they can be purchased and happily uh, hung in, in houses. But for me, it's more allowing people to experience the work and, and, and for me to get their feedback on it, you know, what did it make them think or feel before it was, oh, I just want to have that painting and, and put it in my house. Yeah, of course. And it's kind of no, I wanted to sort of make a point today, having uh, been on a little bit of a hiatus for different reasons with the podcast, uh, to come back with such a prolific uh, painter such as yourself doing one painting a week. So for the likes of me, who pretty much got like creative block, um, for you then to keep at the canvas and keep at your work, like what keeps you coming back? Is it just a primal lizard brain uh, want to paint or do you ever find yourself struggling in front of the canvas? Yes, is is the answer. There's definitely a struggle there with, in terms, for me, the struggle can be, the struggle maybe getting the time to be in the studio, carving out that time to, to get into the studio every day. Once I'm there, I find I'll, I'll be able to work on something. I'll be, you know, either get out a sheet of paper and just start drawing something or observing something in and around the space that, okay, that's kind of interesting. So there's a struggle in, in getting there, being in the studio to allow the creative process to happen. Then I find also where I can get a little bit of pause or block is in that phase of, of kind of getting source material and maybe there's no source material that's that's interesting me and my way to try and get through that is mark making and work through it you know even taking the most kind of mundane picture or thing that i've seen let's just try and draw it and see if it is interesting there's, there's rarely as I said, a kind of wasted moment when you're actually, you know, physically going through the drawing, the painting process, the, the, something something interesting will, I, I fake something interesting will kind of be ignite, but it's, it's the prep work and maybe, I guess with like the series Butts and Cracks now, when I never want to feel like I'm repeating myself um, so if, if making a series 
comes to this point where I feel I'm, uh, I'm running closely to repeating what I did in the, in the previous work. Like almost self-derivative. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think I'm kind of coming to a, a challenge of that at the moment, actually, where I'm, so I'm, these works are very much, you know, they're devoid of perspective because it's, it's looking straight down almost um, at your feet and, and the ground beneath it. Um, and I'm trying to find ways to bring the figure back in and I've done that in, in some works where maybe you're staring at, off the side of a, a curb and there could be a, a puddle there where the, the road meets the, the pavement um, and the figure being brought in through the reflection. But I've done that once and I don't, I, I, I'm not sure what is the, the next interesting way to take that. Be a builder's crack is the next one there. <laughs> Possibly um so like there is there is struggles a few years ago i was really i was in a different studio space i was really struggling at work and they were more um there was no source material for the works they were quite psychological kind of expressive pieces you see some pictures of them on my instagram of these kind of running figures in uh these stark red backgrounds in there it was the figures were um more just they weren't derived from any person they were just supposed to be this universal human and and that was really i don't know i got i got in a real funk there while i was battling with these paintings and so it does have its really challenging times where yeah, if, this, if the work isn't, if you don't feel the work is responding or, you know, what, what it is really is I'm not responding to the work. So if I'm not responding to the work, put it out there and anyone viewing it, they won't respond. That can be very challenging at, at, at times, yeah. And as time is a cruel mistress, mm. I, I will give two more probing questions one is it's a bit of a redundant question because we're here talking about it today but was there any stage uh in your journey that from feedback from friends family and our other that you're like god your stuff is shite or why are you doing this you're wasting your time uh, like was there ever a point where you maybe nearly put down the brush um there's definitely been times where I think people look at, at me maintaining the studio and think like, and you know, without a show, let's say now there hasn't been a show for 16 months. It's like, what, what are you doing? These studios. There has been a pandemic uh, future yeah. audience of 2035. <laughs> yeah. So um, we'll forgive the 12 months at least. <laughs> so, you know, paying like, studios aren't free you've got your studio rent you've got all your materials and um it's you know i have a a full storage unit down in cork full of art that i'm not sure when it's going to see the light of day again um and the work is only building up behind it to possibly just be nestled in in a in another 
storage unit next to the one I already have. So I think there are some, a lot of people who look on it and say, you know, why are you making all this work? But I have never really thought about stopping. I don't think I could. I think it's, it really is just so important for my own head and the way I think through parts of life the way you know it helps me to try and understand what the human experience is and I hope that doesn't sound too fluffy in any way and our you know I hope that there's a, a genuineness behind that you hear a lot of people saying you know I, I I couldn't stop and I can't I mean I really couldn't see a time when I just wouldn't um, and I, I don't go into the studio every day thinking this is me trying to understand the human experience but when I look back on the work I, I know that that's what it is about so it's actually just the enjoyment of, of going in and making work I, I couldn't imagine a day when I wouldn't want to go in and paint I think it's always just such a, a journey into kind of the unknown you never know what might happen when you sit down in front of a canvas there's an excitement to yeah. it and, and well, you know, even if, if they're not for sale, uh, even if they're not hanging on walls, they're sitting in a storage unit, the enjoyment of making them and that journey of, of, of making them was was worthwhile for me. Yeah, of course. No, well, maybe the ultimate fate, you might have a big bonfire and record <laughs> that and make it into, uh, you know, the end, put it Dante's Inferno for the final piece. <laughs> Are you uh, suggesting burning all the work? Well, I think it would be quite uh, poetic. Um, speaking of which, I, I think it would be worth mentioning that a, a fine artist uh, is more than just uh, paint on canvas. Mm-hmm. I think it might be nice to wrap up because you do or you have had uh, some spoken word pieces as well. And you had a few examples for us uh, today. So I know a little bit caught for time now and I don't want to mm-hmm. keep you too much longer but if you would be so kind uh, do you have any of those examples for us and maybe give us a little quick preamble of uh, where these are coming from I do yeah so these were very I guess they still like there's a thread that goes through all the work um, in this kind of exploring the mundane and even though the output here as you're about to hear is very different to the paintings there are threads and similarities so this was work that I was creating from the the telephone directory and um, so this nice idea is that in theory the telephone directory the telephone book you know contains all of us all of our names addresses it's a book of us um, and it's yeah. also this kind of outdated like boring book that you know an artifact that isn't really used anymore so I was cutting it up and, and trying to make with, with the idea of making maybe paintings and then was pasting from the telephone directory into the golden pages. And what they actually just became is when I read out what was kind of being cut and pasted, it sounded a lot more interesting than anything that I think I could put down on canvas. So they just became these kind of abstract sound poems. Um, and I see them very much almost a tread back to like abstract expressionism, but more in, in an audio kind of experience. Um, so these were on show in Amsterdam in 2015 as part of the new now um, exhibition for emerging artists. So I can give you a, 
a flavor of what one of these poems would sound like if that if that suits absolutely fire away okay so this is and there's quite a deep kind of guttural voice that goes along with with these works so hopefully that translates go for it we, so we love it here Ovin Joe Gertna Julie Pat Silver Height. Ovin Joe Gertna Julie Pat Silver Height, Oaks and Bard Barn and Rockest Joe's Old Duff, Reen Reen and Glen Tom Derryberry Tom Height. Donnellyne Marie Eight Wood, Matthew Martin Kate, Blarney Woodvale, Furcalo Inishkeen, the Ovin Joe Gertna Julie Pat Silver Height. Silver Marie, Tom, Liam, West S, Castle, Tongue, Bear, Erie, Fur, Here, Deeds, Martin, Deirdre, One, Ashford, Bay, Reen, Reen, and Glen, Tom, Derryberry, Tom, Height. West Marie, Willow Park, and Sullivan, Ennis, Wright, and Leo Tremor, The Grieve, St. On, Maui, Ovin, Joe, Gertna, Julie, Pat, Silver, Height. Gorth Row, Neil, Death, Weston, Wes, Begging Street, Beogham, Cloyne, Beach, Lee, Mitch, Roxby, Glen, Reen, Reen, and Glen, Tom, Derryberry, Tom, Height. Anvil, Mr. Forest, dear I, the Strand Heights, Croha, beach me now, will you far and tower one place? Ovin, Joe, Gertna, Julie, Pat Silver Height, Reen, Reen, and Glen, Tom, Derry, Berry, Tom Height. So even though so that was Ovin, Joe, Gertna, Julie, Pat Silver Height, even though there's no sense there, there is an underlying kind of structure of poetic form that. I'll tell you the structure and the form, my interpretation as yeah. the live audience here. Certainly as a fellow Christian brother, there's definitely a chant aspect to that. Uh, yeah. Very reminiscent of Latin sort of prayers and chants. Mm. Maybe even going back to not Gregorian so much, but uh, semi-early Christian-y vibes. Um, I love it. It was very nice to listen to there. It was, put me in a trance. Thanks, yeah, because it, it, it follows the, the form of um, a villanelle, sort of refraining kind of line, every second verse with a refraining line. And uh, yeah, it was funny that the response to that work was good, and it's because it's cutting up our names, our addresses, so you have kind of Gaelic undertones there as well and just the, the, the combinations of letters. So Super. Well, we'll tie this up in a nice bow now. Billy, thank you very much for joining me today for a, a much needed episode in the pipeline for the audience there. Billy, where can uh, people find you online to see and maybe hear uh, some more of your works? Yes, you can find me online at billydante.com. And for the most recent updates and the hot off the press work, you can get me at Instagram at billydante. Super. And as I mentioned, an absolute pleasure catching up with you here today. And I'm sure the audience will get a kick out of this as well. I do encourage you all. I know it's at the end, but uh, definitely check out Billy Dante and his works. It's uh, some superb stuff over there. Thanks, Richard. Thanks. Until next time, that has been Richard for The Bizarre Cast. Catch us up at The Bizarre Cast and make sure to leave a review where you can. See you next time. End of line.